All right, welcome everyone to another episode of the Browns Note Podcast. This is Ryan Burns coming to you from Dog Pound West in Orange County, California. You can find the podcast at the Browns Note on Twitter. You can find me at FTBL Sickness, just one letter short. The old character limits. Always a always an Achilles heel on Twitter. Can't win them all. FTBL on sickness. Hit me up. We'll have Brendan Leister in here shortly. We're going to talk about some of the Browns narratives. We're going to talk about some of the things going on as we lead up to the more important dates in the offseason. You've got free agency starting shortly. And of course, this week is the Underwear Olympics. The NFL Combine is upon us. Uh, today was quarterback interview and running back and offensive line drill day. It is, uh, it's always interesting. You know, we, we of course, had hand-sized day come through the other day. Sam Darnold was pleased to have been measured as something other than baby hands, so we'll have to find a new excuse for all the turnovers. Um, <laughs> you know, I always, I always get a chuckle out of this whole procedure because, look, the testing matters. The data matters. You can whittle down what you know and what you don't know by making use of good information. And it you would be a fool not to notice when a player who looks like player X on the field, on your tape, and you've evaluated him thusly. And all of a sudden he gets into a gym and holy crap, look at all this stuff he can do. Or in the case of a guy like Saquon Barley, Barkley, um, he puts up ridiculous numbers like he thought he would because he did ridiculous things on the field all the time. So, look, th- this stuff matters, but I do tend to think that it gets a little too much play. And there were there were people pointing that out today. For example, it was noted a number of times that Alvin Kamara didn't have the world's burningest 40 time. Jerry Rice didn't have the world's burningest 40 time. Tom Brady didn't look so pretty at the at the combine. You know how that stuff goes. It's part of the picture. Let's not get worked up about it just because Saquon Barkley jumped 41 inches and did a bunch of bench presses. The football's the thing, which is the same story I would tell you about Zeus Jr., about Orlando Brown Jr. Seems to me he had, not to me, we can all see it, he had an awful combine. But at the end of the day, how much weight are you going to give that? I mean, he was able to block some of the best players in the country. Now, you can make your conclusions based on what you saw and tell me, oh, he was sort of a product of a program or he was benefited by having a quarterback who was so effective. And I'll listen to those kinds of arguments. But, hey, he runs a slow 40 or his three cone's not great. Well, that's not why he's not going to make it. I mean, the data's important, but if a guy can really play, you're never shaking me off that part of it. So that's just kind of where I come down on it. I, it's worth watching. I'm always intrigued to see kind of how these guys move. And you can glean some things. And I really do enjoy sort of the analysis that comes from the guys that really know what they're looking for. And, um, and we'll have Brendan on shortly to talk about some of that. And we've got some more guests coming up in the next week or two. Um, we're going to have some quarterback stuff that's going to be really fun. Hopefully it'll be uh, – I'm trying to come at it from a little different angle than, than you hear everywhere else. Uh, we'll see <laughs> how it actually gets executed when we when we come down to it. But that stuff is to look forward to. Let's dig into this one. Obviously, free agency coming up shortly. The tag system already really taking a bunch of people kind of off the board that you might be interested, guys. I mean, I suppose you would have already expected Allen Robinson not to be back. Um, but there are all kinds of guys, obviously. Um, Miami and the Rams kind of active. Obviously, there was a trade tonight that was Robert Quinn to Miami, and there was at least for a moment people thought that might include Jarvis Landry. It doesn't. There is word that the Browns are at least vaguely somehow interested in Jarvis Landry, so keep your eye on that. But as I look at this free agent list, there's just there are guys on here that you'd surely love to have on your team, but when you do the math in terms of what it would probably cost in free agency to get them, the likelihood of the Browns getting them, there really aren't that many... In my view, as I look at this list, there really aren't that many realistic options where there are exciting ways for the Browns to make big impacts on their team. There are some there's some players that would be worth adding for this team, um, but a lot of them are going to be off the board. I mean, I look at a star Lotelele. I'm not sure I know exactly everything about the defensive line, but I always like star. That's a hell of a player. And if he's out there on the market, I'd be interested, for example. That's just one. Tremaine Johnson, I think, will be out there on the market, and that's actually one of those areas where maybe there's a mesh between 
Greg Williams having having worked with him before, the Browns having a ton of money, and him being a free agent. And then again, maybe there's not. I mean, look, let's be honest with ourselves. Most free agents would rather go elsewhere. I don't think you have to dig too deep into the reasoning to understand that that's just going to be the case, at least for now. I remember a world where that was true about the Green Bay Packers. Most of you probably don't, but I remember that world. I remember the world pre-Reggie White, pre-Brett Favre. Nobody was trying to get up into Green Bay, Wisconsin to play some football. Hell, even when they were good, Charles Woodson didn't want to go there and play football. He ended up winning a Super Bowl and a Defensive Player of the Year there. So I think what you have to accept is that the Browns need to dig their way out of this hole, and they, as an organization, are going to have to prove that they aren't just kind of flying by the seat of their pants here, that there actually is a plan. And you can fill in holes in free agency, and you can add impact players in free agency, but the reality of you really changing your team's fortunes with free agency, to me, that's a that's a low percentage bet. You better be drafting well, you'd better be developing well, and you better be finding good coaches and good, you know, Good players who can execute what the coaches are telling them to do. You know, <clears throat> real football players. Uh, but, you know, I'm not going to get too deep into all the, uh, all the narratives, but there are a couple we're going to attack on this episode. And before we do that and before I bring in Brendan, there's just a couple things. I want to point out one thing. Um, I saw a great thread, and a number of you probably saw it as well. Um, Warren Sharp at Sharp Football on Twitter. The start of the thread is Thursday, March 1st at 3.09 p.m. Eastern. Now, the great thing is this actually came in perfectly timed. I asked Brendan to put together some thoughts, and and this thread sort of dovetails with it perfectly. Uh, I asked him to sort of break down as best he could for a layman like myself, a non-expert, somebody who likes football and thinks they have sort of a I know just enough to be dangerous understanding of the game. Um, what is really the point of what we were doing with Jabril, Jabril Peppers last year? What is the point of Greg Williams' angel position, and how does it, how does it at least appear to him that it, that it is supposed to meld into the scheme? What's the point? Why does that make sense for Peppers to be there? I assume most of you saw um, <laughs> Coach Greg with two Gs comments this week about how, number one, there could never have been anybody else that on this roster that you wanted to book back there. And number two, about how, um, you know, it was preventing deep passes. But anyway, Warren Sharp at Sharp Football took a pretty deep dive. There was a thread of, you know, I don't want to pick the number, but it was a couple of dozen tweets. And and there were concrete examples, film from damn near every game in the Browns season. There were stats to back it up. And really the long and short of it was all the supposed justifications for the Jabril Peppers 800 yards deep, um, we're not all that well supported by the end of the year. Now, I think there's a lot that goes down, goes into that. Jabril was hurt for parts of that. You did have to play other guys there, et cetera, et cetera. Rookies, all that. Having priced all that in, <laughs> Mr. Sharp puts together a rather persuasive case that this is all a bunch of nonsense. So I would point you to that. Um, see the videos if you can. And, uh, and I'll leave it at that. I think it's worth, worth, worth watching. And I'm going to talk to Brendan about it maybe a little bit here shortly. I know he's done his own work. Um, I'm excited to get into it. We'll pick apart a couple other Browns narratives here shortly. Um, again, combine week, exciting things happening. Obviously the Browns organization has to be preparing for a busy, busy free agency period, or at least they better be. They got all that money and fans who are expecting them to spend it. I'm not even sure most of the fans care whether they spend it all that prudently. <laughs> I kind of do. Let's be smart about it. Let's go get players that matter. Let's not just spend money because we have it. Anyway, draft coming up in just about two months. Free agency starts in just under two weeks, and the Combine will flow through this weekend. All kinds of good stuff to talk about. Let's go ahead and move on. Grab Brendan Leister from the heart of Ohio, at Brendan Leister on Twitter. We'll be right back with him. All right, we are back with Brendan Leister. Staying up late with me here in the heart of Ohio. He is at Brendan Leister on, what's that machine called? Twitter. Yeah, there we go. He's a frequent uh, contributor here to the Browns Note Podcast. 
B. Leister. How are you, Coach? Doing good, man. How about you? I'm doing well. I appreciate you staying up and tolerating my Friday shenanigans with children and business stuff and all that. Let's let's dive right into all this because there are a bunch of things I know we want to talk about. I had mentioned in the opening, and we can go through this kind of quickly or in some detail, kind of at your at your leisure. But I had mentioned the thread, uh, the sharp, the at sharp football Walter Walter Sharp football thread um, on Thursday, which as we sit here today, for me, is still yesterday. Um, but you and I had talked about maybe discussing on this podcast Greg Williams' scheme as it relates to sort of that angel position, the position that so many have had questions, we'll call them, reservations, um, conniption fits, about uh, the, the angel position being that really deep safety position that we've all seen a million different things on with Jabril Peppers lined up way back. Um, number one, did you... I, I think I saw that you saw the thread. Um, give me your thoughts. Yeah, so um, to start off, I mean, it, it clearly didn't work. The numbers showed that the Browns <laughs> were terrible at defending deep passes and short passes, as we all saw last year. And the only thing that the defense was good at was defending the run. And it made sense because they stacked the line a lot. They had a deep safety 20 yards deep. Their corners were way off. Their linebackers were often out of position in the past game um i do understand a point that greg williams made um to a point that he said that nobody else on the defense was really cut out to play that position i kind of agree with that um i think that peppers probably did have the best skill set to play the position but it's still kind of it doesn't absolve him from any blame though because the defense was so poor and you would think that he would adjust as time went on and uh, see the bad results and adjust to it, change his scheme a little bit. But he was just fitting uh, square pegs into round holes, and you never want to see that from a defensive coordinator. You know, the, the thing that I'm curious about, is it, is it that he was trying – is it an attempt to be conservative? And it would seem, based on his comments, and you can see him if you go click on those threads, there are little video clips of both – Greg's comments and there are plays throughout the Brown season that sort of exhibit the problems that were created and that Brendan's talking about here. It would seem that the idea, and as you can tell me if this is oversimplified, but it would seem that the idea is let's not get beat deep over the top. We're a, we're a team full of young players. We're figuring out how to play all that across the board. This isn't a defense thing. That's a whole roster thing, right? So let's, try and stay in as many games as we can. And one way to stay in as many games as we can is to minimize the explosive plays or the plays over the top by the opposing offense. And at least from a philosophical standpoint, granted that's simple, but I would at least understand that. Am I correct in assuming that's at least the basis for what we're trying to accomplish here? Yeah, I think so. That probably was the thought process. But the problem with that is that he didn't adjust he would use it on four, on first and 10. He would use it on second and one, third and one. Any down and distance, he was using this safety 20, 25 yards deep. And everything was open underneath. Uh, apparently, every I didn't really realize this during the, the season. but look really bad in coverage all of a sudden. Oh, it does, yeah. I mean, we saw Christian Kirksey, who's one of the best coverage linebackers in the entire NFL throughout his career. He suddenly had a terrible year in coverage last year, which didn't make any sense. I also wondered why he was covering tight ends often because he's a will linebacker. Typically you don't put the will linebacker to the tight end side, but um, you know, proof is in the pudding. It was a really bad scheme and hopefully we don't see it anymore. <laughs> oh, I expect we're going to see it. You know, that, that thread is worth seeing. If you, if you want to see it, it's at sharp football. You can check it out. I think it started Thursday, March 1st, somewhere in the afternoon. I, I think it's about noon my time, which makes it 3 Eastern. You know, the other really interesting piece of content that I didn't mention in the open that came out this week that I know you got to, got to hear and you told me that it was coming and I went and listened to it, the Tomahawk podcast. And they had, they had old Johnny Manziel on and we're talking about going... And he, he really did dive into sort of his perspective on not only being drafted, but sort of his development, the various coaching factors, we'll call them. <laughs> it was a really fascinating listen. And for me, 
as an old 43-year-old Browns fan who's just dying for some fun and winning at this point, the there were two things that stuck out. Number one, Johnny is just really obnoxiously likable in that podcast. Like when he's, you can tell that he's just, he's a compelling dude when he's sober, when he's got his sort of focus on something. And I'm not here to proselytize for the guy. I don't know if he's, you know, kicked all this stuff. I don't know if he's back. I don't know any of that stuff. But he, you could tell that he was at least engaged in this thing. And he seems to be engaged in his process, at least for now. And so maybe he's just in a good place or maybe this is who the kid is now. But at any rate, on that podcast, I found him eminently likable and that was frustrating as hell. And then it was just kind of depressing from the standpoint of, and I mean depressing in a colloquial sense. I'm not actually depressed. This is football. Let's keep it in perspective. But, but you know what I mean? That I, it, it sure sounded like everything you and I were talking about, even on this podcast back then, was sort of how he viewed it, which was he was just starting to figure it out, and everything went a little haywire. He got jerked in and out of the lineup, and, and we can have all our disagreements about all that, but when he started talking about the Josh McCown part and he's saying, look, Josh McCown got me to a place where I, I could see what I needed to understand. And I could see my path to actually playing good football in the NFL. I actually bought all that. And I understand that makes me an idiot because I bought all of Johnny's stuff before I didn't buy all of Johnny's stuff before. That's not true, but I bought into him because I saw enough talent and I really thought there was something special there as I know you did. And so as I listened to that podcast, it was just like my overwhelming reaction to it was just, damn it. We let, it was really close. There was a chance. And, and it's all on Johnny. He didn't have to become or he didn't have to lose his control over himself. We'll just leave it at that. We all know what happened. And he's clearly got a long way to come back. But my point in just listening to this as a Browns fan and enjoying, first of all, great podcast, but that particular story and how it was told um, – uh, it sure was tough to avoid the whole what could have been feeling. Yeah, I thought it was really funny hearing him kind of talk talk about how Kyle Shanahan, he wasn't sure if he actually wanted him in that draft. So he was kind of forced on Kyle Shanahan by Ray Farmer or Jimmy Haslam. He wasn't sure who made the pick. And then he never really gave Cleveland a chance. I think that was something he, he said at one point. And then, yeah, the part with Josh McCown, um, just his, it wasn't until his second year when he really knew that he shouldn't be showing up on time just like everybody else and leaving at the same time as everybody else. He didn't understand that an NFL quarterback is supposed to get there at the crack of dawn and leave later than anybody in the entire building. Like Josh McCown was the one that showed him that. That was kind of disappointing to me that someone didn't try to bring him along as a rookie. But, I mean, maybe that happened and he didn't elaborate on it. But you know still, what? it was you know what? just dis- disappointing to hear. We're not all real on top of everything when we're 20 or 21. And, and I keep coming back to we're asking these kids to make that jump. And it's a lot to ask of some of them. Some of them are ready. Some of them aren't, even if they've got the talent to eventually play. And that... You know, think about you and me met when you were what eighteen, something like younger than that, maybe. Yeah. And yeah, and when you think about yourself at twenty one compared to now, and I know you're twenty five now, so you're old mm-hmm. and wise and all that. But <laughs> you know what I mean? Like it, when you're twenty one, it's this is not excusing. I'm just saying you don't know what you don't know shit about shit. And so the idea that these guys are just going to be ready to do all this, it's not always the case. And so when I look back at Johnny, I'm thinking about, okay, well, look, that's the job. There's no excuse for him. I'm, I'm not excusing it, but I'm just being realistic about it. Some of these guys aren't going to be perfectly prepared for it. And it sure sounded to me like he was a dude who had no idea what he didn't know back then and and had a hell of a lot of – had almost a like – a time warp experience over the past of the past couple of years. It would just be like, whoa, I had to grow up fast. Yeah, definitely. It was clear that he didn't really know what he was getting into at all. And you could probably look back and just wish that he would have gotten a little more guidance with that, I guess. I think, I think maybe, but maybe people around him helped. Yeah, maybe people around him tried to help him and let him know what he was getting into, but it just seems like he never really understood exactly what what it took to be 
you know, a great quarterback at the NFL level. We only really saw the flashes in one or two games or a yeah. few games at, at most. Yeah, we didn't get a lot of chances to see it. There's no doubt about it. And anyway, we're not going to yeah. drag on to Johnny. It was just that was a that was a fun listen. It's worth your it's worth your check out if you haven't already. It seems like most folks have. You know, one of the things we were going to talk about this week um, are some narratives around the Browns, and I wanted to just pull out. I've got uh, got some receipts here, and I wanted to just they're not only they're not really mine, but I wanted to check out. Um, we've been talking about a number of things over the past couple of weeks on Browns Twitter, and I'm not really a full blown member. I don't know where you stand on this. Um, but these days I'm not much of a, a full-blown Browns Twitter member. I'm, I'm sort of still my football sickness character on there, and uh, there's a Browns contingent to it, but I, I still have a nice mix. I would probably lose my mind if I were just amongst Browns fans all the time because it, it kind of plays a lot like the OBR uh, message boards, which as much fun as I've had there, <laughs> It can go. It can go sideways on you pretty quick. <laughs> <laughs> you can get some pretty strange stuff. And and you know, look, I'm just out here trying to talk philosophy and talk ball and the whole who's going to drop what news and be right about stuff. I, I'm too old for all that shit. So I just wanted to. There were a couple of things though that came up this week, and so I've gone back and forth. I've had a number of interactions over the years with Mike Silver, who to me I'm cool with Mike. I don't have any problem with. Any of what's gone on here, I have a certain perspective on it that I think I understand what the message has been. I don't really care whether Hugh Jackson uses him as a sounding board or a, a mouthpiece. or None of that bothers me because everybody knows what the game is and you're free to consume what you consume. And this is the world um, in 2018 where we don't really seem to pay a lot of attention to what is consistent with previous messages and whatnot. But I wanted to go over just for a moment. There's been this sort of narrative out there that, you know, it seems like every time some quarterback has some success, that's the quarterback that Hugh Jackson wanted, right? And there are a lot of you that still seem to be hanging on to the idea that Hugh Jackson wanted Carson Wentz or Hugh Jackson wanted uh, Deshaun Watson. Those are the two that really stick out. Hugh Jackson wanted Jimmy Garoppolo. There's sort of a third one there. And, of course, there's the one that I actually buy into you with all of you, which is that Hugh Jackson wanted A.J. McCarron. But if you wanted to trade a two and a three for A.J. McCarron, I don't know why you're listening to this podcast because nobody I'm going to have on here thinks that's a good idea. And so let's talk about a couple of things. The Carson Wentz one is the one that keeps coming up and drives me up a freaking wall. And the reason it drives me up a wall is because I do evidence for a living, it turns out. And so... When you have reporting that comes from the moment the draft picks are happening or the reporting that comes directly from the horse's mouth, as in, Hugh Jackson told me this, you should probably believe that reporting. And so with that as a backdrop, we have, by the way, we have entire rules of evidence in our legal system built on those concepts. So with that, we dive in. September 6th, 2016, 8.15 a.m. at Mike Silver. I talked to Hugh Jackson about Wentz many, many times pre-draft. Jackson never disparaged his ability. Thought too was too high to take him. Let me repeat that. And I quote, Hugh Jackson told Mike Silver, who then tweeted it, Hugh Jackson thought the second overall pick was too high, quote, too high, quote, to take him. So the idea that Hugh Jackson really wanted Carson Wentz is nonsense. Remember that report recently that Mary Kay Cabot had about how Hugh Jackson wanted Carson Wentz more than Jared Goff? Well, for those few of you that actually still believe that, Mike Silver, again, back from December of 2017. December the 7th, in fact, at 12.38 p.m. I have never changed my take. Hugh liked Wentz. He liked him. Didn't think he'd be a good pick at two. And then in parentheses, obviously he proved to be. I think we can all agree with that so far. And then the critical thing. He loved Goff. Wanted him badly. No change. And so what you need to know about that first draft is that 
Hugh Jackson wanted Jared Goff, which is what most people thought at the time. And I don't know why all of a sudden we're pretending it's not true because Mary Kay Cabot got some bad information from an agent or from a coach. He wanted Jared Goff. He was pissed that they didn't trade up for Jared Goff. He was pissed that the Rams went and got Jared Goff. He didn't want to take Carson Wentz at two. Period. End of story. He didn't want Wentz. It's not that he didn't want him. He didn't want him at two. So if you're not going to take him at two, he got taken at two. You bounced out at two. You knew he was gone. You didn't want him enough. Move on. Let's do Deshaun Watson, he, shall we? No, no actually. He wanted he, RG3. Yeah, he wanted RG3. Thank you for pointing that out. Go ahead, Brendan. Take the it. earth moved under his feet. Oh, I'm enjoying that it. That is what they said. The earth moved under the man's he feet the at his workout against the air. Under his feet. He felt it. He felt it, B. Leister. The earth moved. Exactly. And he probably, it was probably just like RG3's Instagram workout videos where he throws <laughs> balls at trees. Oh, no, you got to tell him that story. You got to tell, because you said that to me and it took me like four minutes to stop howling. You got you to gotta reference, reference the content, tell him what you're talking about. Yeah, so Ryan said something about this. He was blaming Sashi for something, like in a sarcastic manner. I said Sashi was at the workout and he saw RG3 throwing balls at trees because RG3 on Instagram, he posts these workout videos all the time. And I guess his wife calls out a number, <laughs> a number of a tree for him to throw a football at and hit. So he like throws footballs at trees. And I was just making a joke that he was doing that at the workout where Hugh and Sashi in the joke felt the ground move under their feet. Yeah, and so just getting back to that, again, Mike Silver, 8.29 p.m., 30th of October, 2017. Quote, the two quarterbacks the two quarterbacks Hugh has wanted most since taking over are Goff and Garoppolo. It's fair to put RG3 on him, but it's never his call. Well, but it's never his call is like sort of the Hugh Jackson theme song, so we'll leave it at that, but... Um, the, the Jimmy Garoppolo thing, look, for those of you that aren't caught up on this, Jimmy Garoppolo was never going to get traded to the Cleveland Browns ever. And you can, you can go, Oh, but blah, 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 blah. You could have offered blah, blah, blah. Bill Belichick. Let me say it real slowly. And you can choose to believe me or not. I don't particularly care. Bill Belichick was never trading Jimmy Garoppolo to the Cleveland Browns. And if you need more proof, I would point you to L-M-G-T-F-Y, which stands for, let me Google that for you. See you there. Let's get back. Can I make another point on that? Please do. Can I make a point? Yeah, so on the Tomahawk podcast, Joe Thomas actually got into this, and he said that the thing with Garoppolo is, you know, these reports came out in the first place that there was – a rift between the owner, between Bob Kraft and right. Bill Belichick. Belichick didn't even want to trade him. No, Kraft Belichick wanted to move on from Brady and go to Garoppolo. Yeah, at some point. So Brady went to the owner, told him to trade Garoppolo. The owner tells Belichick to trade him. So he was going to trade him to a stable organization, not some freaking organization like the Browns where they were going to screw it up let him go to free agency and then let him get to the AFC East where the Jets or the Bills were going to pay him $100 million. That well, was the and, problem. And he Bill Belichick didn't want to face him twice a year. And he wasn't going to trade him to the place that had been really shitty to Belichick. And he has great respect for Kyle Shanahan and John Lynch. Exactly. That's the thing. He knew that Kyle Shanahan was going to do right by Jimmy Garoppolo. He got him out of the AFC. It all makes sense. Like when you piece it all together. And they took just a second round pick. After in the offseason, the Browns supposedly offered way more than that. that. That's what everybody has said. That's what Joe Thomas said. And it seems from what Joe Thomas has said on that podcast as well, that he probably has has pretty good relationships with the guys in the front office and has discussed this stuff with them, with the details that he gets into. Joe and Hawk and Johnny sure seemed to like Kyle, didn't they? <laughs> Big time. They raved about him. It was crazy. Let's do Deshaun Watson real quick, shall we? Let's dispose of this one. So those of you that ask me the question on Twitter, how do you know they didn't want Deshaun Watson? Hugh wanted Deshaun Watson. Okay, look, I'll grant you. Hugh probably liked Deshaun Watson. 
Hell, I like Deshaun Watson. If you want to check the receipts, I've got a tweet as we were on the clock. <laughs> and it says, I'd take Deshaun Watson. So you're barking up the wrong tree. But let's talk about the reportage, shall we, from the day of the actual draft. May 1, 2017, so a couple days after the draft. The Cleveland Show, inside look at how the Browns draft unfolded an article by Mike Silver on NFL.com. It's still there. You can look it up, I promise. And I'm just going to read a paragraph to you that is square in the middle of this article that should move you along from Hugh Jackson wanted Deshaun Watson at 12 and Sashi Brown did something that was untoward. And I quote, After the Kansas City Chiefs traded up to 10th and selected Mahomes, the quarterback who Jackson felt had the biggest upside that left Watson at... Let me rephrase that. Mahomes was the quarterback who Jackson felt had the biggest upside. That left Watson as the highest-ranked QB on Cleveland's board. Watson, in Jackson's eyes, was the passer best suited to play right away. But he was not the man he hoped the Browns would select with the 12th pick. Instead, he was looking to provide Williams, as in Greg, with another potential star, Ohio State safety Malik Hooker. To me, he has a chance to be another Ed Reed, Jackson would tell me later. When I coached in Baltimore, I saw firsthand what kind of impact a great safety can have. End quote. Hugh Jackson would have taken Malik Hooker over Deshaun Watson. End that narrative right friggin' now. So I assume we're And, and Hooker would have fit the angel perfectly. Totally. I just feel like adding Hooker's that. a great player. <laughs> I wouldn't have had any problem with that. I would have taken he, Watson myself. Yeah. I would have had no problem with Hooker. Yep. Oh, I was just making a joke about the angel. Yeah, no, I get you. But it's true. <laughs> it's true. It would have looked great. Yeah, but, like I mean, Hooker at the angel makes a lot more sense this than Jabril Peppers. This idea Hugh Jackson <laughs> hasn't had enough juice in the quarterback decision. or He hasn't had his guy. It's just such nonsense. Not every, oh, yeah. well, not every coach gets to have the guy he absolutely wants most. you got to make do with what's what. And we all – look, at the end of the day – there's no taking all of this stuff and forgetting that Hugh Jackson is the guy who handled Deshaun Kaiser the way he did, or he's the guy that wanted Josh McCown to take a coaching job instead of being the veteran mentor. There's no, or that he's the guy who, for whom the earth moved when RG3 worked out. This idea that Hugh Jack, or that he's the guy that would have traded a two and a three for A.J. McCarron. Get out of here. Get out of here with that stuff. So this idea that Hugh Jackson hasn't gotten his guy at quarterback Please spare me. Well, another thing is with Kaiser, like what about him was analytics? That's the thing too, is like nothing about his numbers or anything. None of the analytics people on Twitter, like the smart people I follow that I trust for their analytical data. Now, maybe the Browns had some different numbers that said that Kaiser was going to be a big time starter and everything, but age was in his favor. Yeah, that's the one factor. But accuracy, I mean, everything about his performance in college, the only connection I can see is Hugh Jackson wanted a big quarterback with a big arm for his offense. That's the only thing. It seems to me like a Hugh Jackson pick. Now, I don't have evidence that he liked him. I don't well, I don't know. I think here's a different way to put it. It looks like a Hugh Jackson quarterback. Here's a different way to put it. It it feels On paper. it feels to me more like a film pick in terms of you can see some intriguing traits on film that if you don't have to pay attention to what sort of the numbers bear out and the consistency of execution of those traits, you know, there, there are some exciting things that you could see a player to here and there in every game that Deshaun Kaiser played that would be like, Whoa, wait a minute. This guy's got something to him. Um, and so that a quarterback guru would look at and they would say, Oh, I can get him to do this all the time. Yeah. 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 I think that says it. <laughs> Let's do a different narrative because I know this is the one that you and I've been dying to kick around. Uh, <laughs> narrative number two this week, the Browns should pass on a quarterback at one and just take one at four. I have three words for this narrative. Fuck that noise. For a plethora of reasons, really. I mean, the biggest single point I want to make here 
quarterback prospects are not interchangeable, okay? Nobody is sitting around in the NFL with their egg tweeter avatar thinking, oh, I'd be just fine with any of these four guys. Just take whatever's left at number four. That, that is not the way the NFL world works. And think about what you're saying. You'll just live with whatever scraps fall at, you know, fall to you at the single most important position in the entire professional sports world. That's just madness. There's, there's no excuse for that kind of a philosophy. And what's more, Sashi Brown just got fired for this exact fucking thing. You're all <laughs> upset that he passed over Carson Wentz and Deshaun Watson, and now we're just cool letting Sam Darnold or Josh Rosen or Baker Mayfield or uh, Lamar, Jackson Lamar Jackson slip to the Giants and the, the Broncos and the Jets. What are you even talking about? No. They're going to trade up. No, 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 no. And, and I keep hearing, I have concerns about all of these QBs, or there's no sure thing or can't miss quarterback this year. There never is. There never is. The fear must end. Andrew Luck was a sure thing, surefire, can't miss quarterback, and his fucking team is picking third, okay? It doesn't matter. you got to have a quarterback. And it's not just the injuries with him either. He's thrown so many interceptions in the NFL. I mean, he's never taken care of the ball. I understand the team around him, but like he is not some Hall of Fame quarterback like he was billed as before the draft. Right. Very good, yes. But And maybe if he'd been drafted somewhere else, maybe he'd be a slightly different quarterback from our perspective. But guess what? That's right. not the way the world works. You get what you get. You play the hand you're dealt. And you got to have the damn quarterback. And if you like a quarterback enough at four my God, you better damn well take him at one. One and four are the same pick. They're the same pick. You don't get to excuse yourself from doing something stupid just because you have them both. Don't be insane. You have no way of knowing who's going to go number two and number three. You're sitting there talking about, oh, but the Giants are going to take Saquon Barkley, and, of course, the Colts will then take the pass rusher <laughs> or the guard. You don't know the fuck they're going to take. You don't know who's going to trade who to who. <laughs> There are teams that are going to jump you for the... Okay, so you're sure Saquon Barkley is going to be gone by four, but you know exactly which quarterbacks are going to be there for you, and you're cool with whichever of them. They're all the same. No, that's not the way this works. It's just not. If there's a quarterback you like enough to draft him at number four, it is incumbent upon you as the general manager of a franchise who hasn't had a quarterback since most of the audience of this podcast was born to take the freaking quarterback and no, it's not comparable to last year because there is, when I say there's no miles Garrett, you have to take into account the fact that miles Garrett is sacking quarterbacks. He's not just being handed the ball and running with it. And I'm sorry if that offends those of you who love Saquon Barkley, who by the way, I also love, I love him as much as all of you, and yet philosophically, I'm not taking him up there. See, it's a simple thing. I go back to it again. You have no way of knowing what will happen at two and three. The prudent assumption is that everyone will make the kinds of moves that lead to three quarterbacks coming off the board and you being stuck with the fourth. If that's acceptable to you, Good luck to you. It is not to me. Take your quarterback. If you don't like the quarterbacks, that's another discussion. You probably ought to be trading out if that's the case, but that's yet another discussion. <sighs> and for a running back, look, Saquon Barkley is a freak. He's probably going to be really good in the NFL. I keep hearing the phrase um, um, game changer. And, and guess what? I, I don't care. Call it devaluation. Um, call it a question of positional value. That's more probably how I see it. The reality is that running backs just aren't a difficult place to find production. And teams that get quality production from several guys are winning Super Bowl upon Super Bowl upon Super Bowl these days. This is not comparable to taking Miles Garrett over the 2017 QBs. It's just not. The contemporary wisdom, and admittedly, this is wisdom that I had a hard time coming around to myself is that the running back is quote-unquote devalued. That's, to me, it's, it's the wrong way of looking at it. It's just a differently employed position than it used to be. The better way of looking at it is that, number one, running backs in a vacuum just, 
in and of themselves, that position does not impact winning the way other positions do. It's too dependent on other things. And I know Brendan has a ton on that. Number two, the delta between a top five running back and somebody I can get later isn't much. The delta between a top five pass rusher or corner and the one you get in the second or third round, big, big delta. Number three, and this is the one, to me, look, I graduated college, and so this is where we date ourselves. I graduated college in 1998, 20 years ago this June. The, the NFL game has definitely evolved in a lot of ways in the interim. Back then, work, workhorse backs, right? Top five, no doubt. Actually, um, to hell with it, Auburn had two of them go in the top five in the same draft as recently as 2005, right? Cadillac Williams and Ronnie Brown. But mm-hmm. 20 years ago, in 1998, workhorse backs were still showing up in the Lombardi winner circle. And you had Terrell Davis got two, Marshall Falk, Jamal Lewis. Since then, though, you got like Edge and Marshawn. That's pretty much it. I mean, you could maybe argue Corey Dillon, but who are we kidding about what was working for the Patriots as they won all those Super Bowls? The running back high on your list, and when they're winning them still, I'm sure we've pretty much all noticed that the running back by committee thing has worked just fine. And no, you can't all have Tom Brady, but I don't think it's that hard to look around the league and see how these things are working. Kareem Hunt, Alvin Kamara, David Johnson. Anybody get to Dalvin a Super Cook. Bowl? Anybody get to a Super Bowl with Adrian Peterson? Anybody get to a Super Bowl with who am I forgetting? Look, Leonard Fournette, really good. I loved him. The Jaguars were three and zero and scored twenty six points a game without him. B, your thoughts? Well. When it comes to the Jags, I mean, you could make a really easy argument that they would have been better off taking Deshaun Watson, a pass rusher, a defensive back. You could even argue they could have they taken were Mahomes, take a, who's apparently the yeah. greatest player the Kansas City Chiefs general manager's <laughs> ever seen. Exactly. Yeah. And and the thing is, too, like, like people are using Fournette to um, argue for – using Fournette to argue for Barkley, but, like – Christian McCaffrey is actually more similar to Barkley, you know, when it comes to the pass game value and everything, Leonard Fournette doesn't have that pass game value. And like you said, they didn't win because of him. Um, when it comes to the draft before that, so Ezekiel Elliott, you know, great player. We all know that, but his offensive line is dominant. We all know that. I think other running backs have had success in that offense since he's been there. I mean, when they've played, they've had high yards per carry averages, and it's hard not to look back now and think that with Jalen Ramsey, they wouldn't have been better off. I mean, I think a lot of us thought that at the time that they were kind of crazy for passing on Jalen Ramsey for a running back. And they probably would have been better off with like Derrick Henry, Jordan Howard, some other running backs that went on, went later on in that draft that have had similar numbers to Zeke. I think that's the big thing with the position. The drop, the drop offs that you see in production just aren't as steep like Derrick Henry has good production. Jordan Howard, he's probably outproduced Ezekiel Elliott, and he was like a fifth-round pick. The the drop-off in production from the top of the draft, the running backs are getting up there in the mid to late rounds or or the even the second, third, fourth round. I won't go late rounds. That was a mistake. But second, third, fourth round, you're going to find good backs in those those rounds, and especially this year where it's a historically great class, as we saw today with the Combine. I mean, we already knew that, but just so many good running backs they could potentially get on day two. There's no way that you should invest and pass on, for example, a Bradley Chubb, you know, a pass rusher to add to the defensive front, a unit that couldn't freaking get after the quarterback at all last year. And I know teams are getting the ball out of their hands quickly. Yes, but and it's because of the scheme. But still, the rush was not as good as it should be. And we should be aiming extremely high with the pass rush. We should be aiming like Jacksonville levels where you have five, six, seven guys who defeat blocks and get in the backfield. How do you beat teams with good quarterbacks? You hit the fucking quarterback and knock him out of the game. I mean, that's the way it goes. You hit him over and over and over and over and over. And that is how you win. That is how you you can knock him out of the game literally or figuratively. Either way is comfortable. Yes, don't take that as me being. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, you're Greg Williams.
Yeah, right. Next point. So you you touched on running backs being dependent a little bit. So they're completely dependent on their offensive lines opening up holes for them, obviously. We all know that. They're also dependent on box numbers. So the whole goal of defensive coordinators is to put one more defender in the box than the offense has blockers. So, for example, if you have six guys on the line of scrimmage, five offensive linemen and a tight end, the defense is going to have seven guys in the box to combat that. If they have six guys in the box, then you should probably hand the ball off because you have one more guy than they have blockers or one more guy than they have defenders. You should probably hand the ball off. Don't be an asshole. Exactly. Hand the ball off. You're going to get yards. It's free yardage. That's how I look at it. So part of this can be put on the offensive coordinator because you have to account for that extra defender in the box. So you can do read option plays to read that guy. You can run RPOs. But if you're not doing those things to account for that extra defender in the box and take care of him, whether it's reading him or doing something, the running back's going to be consistently run. He's going to be running into an unblocked defender. And that's what we see a lot of times at the NFL level. So that's why it's not like in college where, you know, in college teams are running read option almost every play. They're running RPOs all the time. So they're accounting for that extra defender in the NFL. We don't see that from NFL offensive coordinators consistently enough yet. I mean, the Eagles were doing it at a high level and that really helped their running backs produce, but you don't see it enough. So these running backs, that's why you gain one, two, three yards over and over and over, or you lose a couple yards here and there because the running back is running into that unblocked defender all the time. And then of course, to add on having a quarterback who threatens the defense to all levels of the field is obviously going to help the running back as well. Because if a defense is planning to stop the pass first and foremost, then they're not going to be accounting for the running back as much. So just opens up running back will be more productive. It's like, like most team sports, football is space, spacing angles, um, you know, pace of travel, those sorts of things. Um, there's a lot of, there's a lot of geometry in sports and, and you got to pay attention to it. You know, I, I, I think about that stuff and I wonder about sort I, I go back to, so I made a couple of comments as I stumble through this one. I made a couple of comments about the combine and I know you probably had a little bit of a chance today, um, to observe some of it. I saw, I was telling you as we were comparing notes before we actually started recording that I got to see, you know, I got to see a little bit of it today, but I was in the office most of the day and having big law firm lunches and all that. So what did you see that was, I mean, obviously Saquon went berserk. Um, Colton Miller impressed everybody. I would advise you to watch the tape. Um, <laughs> what, what else did you see that was interesting during the combine? Yeah, it was just a lot of really good athletic running backs. Uh, Darius Geis, he ran well. Um, he didn't jump quite as well as people probably thought he would. I think Geis only had a 31 inch vertical, but that's another situation with him. Like watch the tape, extremely powerful runner, explosive guy. I think Geis is probably the second or third best running back in this class. Um, he probably has the best run, run instincts as a rusher in this class. And I know that a lot of people, he's a big, whirling dervish ball of pain in the ass to tackle yeah i think his style actually reminds me of maurice jones drew a good amount i've always thought that i like it it's good call yeah he's taller but they run the same way they drag people and he uh i just think he reads blocks better than any running back in the class and that includes barkley barkley likes to bounce it outside a lot he lost a lot of yardage in college there was some stats that I saw that, you know, kinda... let me ask you, because I made kind of a big deal about Josh Allen only having, you know, no, not about Josh Allen only having about Josh Allen having three or four games where he was under a hundred yards passing and only one game where he was over 300 yards passing. Saquon Barkley only rushed for a hundred yards four times this season. Mm-hmm. And, and he had another game or two where he caught a hundred yards worth of balls plus, one of them was against Georgia State, so whatever. But um, 
And and look, to be fair, those rushing games were against the likes of Michigan and Iowa and and teams with legitimate defenses. But um, if we're talking about a guy that who's maybe going to be the number one overall pick in the draft, at least that's the discussion. I don't actually put a lot of weight on that, but there's a lot of discussion about it. If we're talking about that, and we're talking about the running back position, I I would grant anyone that is listening that I would agree. When I watch Saquon Barkley play, I see a difference-making running back. However, it's tough for me to ignore the fact the guy got 100 yards rushing in four games out of 13 this year. Four. I mean, how bad was your offensive line? It can't all be that. Exactly. And and that's the thing. Like, I found this um, this tweet by at cover one on Twitter. He puts out a lot of good content. And uh, so percentage of runs with negative yardage and yardage lost, obviously. So Barkley lost yardage on 16% of his runs. That is not all the offensive line there. It's just, it's not conceivable when you watch him, he does bounce it when there's holes in the you middle. Be I mean, he, Sanders. Yeah, he's got to be because Barry Sanders did lose more yardage than anybody in NFL history, if I remember right. But the thing is, you compare that to, the, to these other guys, guys, 8.6%. Oh, wait. So Barkley lost yardage on 16% of his carries, and it was 260 yards in total. So he lost 260 yards last year. Geis, by comparison, 8.6% of carries he lost yards. And then negative 70 yards was what he lost last year. Penny, uh, Rashad Penny lost yardage on 8% of carries. He lost negative 88 yards. Ronald Jones lost yardage on 7.8% of runs. And he lost 76 yards. And then Sony Michelle uh, lost yardage on 7.1% of runs. And he only lost 44 yards. So you're looking at 260 yards. I mean, you can't tell and, me that doesn't matter. Yeah, and twice as many. On a team so that you 16, know is going to struggle to create consistent offense. That has to be your assumption. Right? Yeah, like, you can't be building lost ground yards into the Browns offense. Right. That's crazy town. Now, he might balance that out with some receiving. I'm just saying, you can get some pretty good receiving out of the running back position at a lot of places. And frankly, Duke Johnson's pretty friggin' good at that. That's not what I need right now. No. I need Kareem Hunt. Well, the point is this guy needs to be Hall of Fame as a runner and as a passer to be worth as number a receiver, one. receiver, it'd be great if he was Hall of Fame as a passer. No, oh, I didn't. Kill yeah, two yeah. birds with one stone. Right. Um, it's nearly 2.30 a.m. here. So. Yeah, I feel you. I feel you. That's mostly my bad. <laughs> I do apologize for the late start, but, you know, running, oh, no, no. running a business and – putting children to bed and all that let me ask you because (laughs) i got a text today or let me say i got a stream of texts today from one (laughs) brendan leister he's doing some film study and he's doing film study on the legit stuff he's got some all 22 he's looking at the game the way a quarterback coach looks at the game and let's just remind people brendan is not just some dude in his mom's basement he actually is a quarterback's coach at the college level so y'all can argue with him if you want I ain't gonna. Um, looked like you were studying Baker Baker Mayfield today, and then all of a sudden, oh, what did my eyes <coughs> see on the old Twitter bot there? Let me make sure I can pull this up properly so that I uh, I got old Brendan's tweet right. What did you say exactly? Something about would you still take? A quarterback top 10. Here it is. And I quote, if a quarterback didn't show much anticipation, timing, and turn down wide open receivers often, would you still be willing to draft him in the top 10? Big fat question mark. Brendan, I got to ask you, just based on those texts, I'm going to assume you were talking about Baker Mayfield. Is that a correct assumption? Yeah, it is. Break it down. Yeah, when you study the All-22, there's just a lot of plays where I think Oklahoma did a hell of a job of scheming guys open. I mean, they, they had really good receivers that ran great routes. They had guys open all over the field. And there were just there's just a lot of plays where he's 
like turning down hitch routes on a smash concept, which is extremely basic. And he's trying to force the ball down the field rather than checking it down underneath, taking what the defense gives him. And so my question about that, I guess, is what allowance do we make for the possibility that Oklahoma has coached him to do something beyond that that says, okay, sometimes you're going to take that and other times you're going to ignore it in lieu of, well, not you're going to, in lieu of, you're going to ignore that, not ignore it, but you're going to be looking or prioritizing a longer route that takes longer to develop. And so we're not going to necessarily hit that. Yeah, that, that's definitely possible with the consistency of it, but it still, I think, is a problem projecting him forward because it hasn't been ingrained in him to take what the defense is giving him. And that's a huge problem when it's second and four and he's trying to force the ball down the field and then he hits, you know, he throws a different route late and maybe it's incomplete. And then you're in third down all of a sudden when it should have been an easy first down to the hitch route, but the corner was able to come up and cover it because he didn't throw it on time. I just, I kind of have problems with his ability to anticipate he doesn't really well just point blank he doesn't anticipate routes well he waits until guys are wide open before he throws the ball often Um, there's basic you know slant arrow concept like rubber outs where he'll he'll wait until the receiver is all the way in the middle of the defense before pulling the trigger it brings the safety into the play sometimes and can create incompletions Um, is it so you, you sort of answered it at the end there. You said it can create incompletions. And, the, and my question was really going to be, because I hear this argument, does it matter much at the college level? Look, he's just picking people apart. Who cares? Well, it does not you're projecting him forward. Like, I I think on one hand, you can absolutely, like, you can absolutely say to Baker Mayfield, you did a hell of a job in college. You mastered that offense. You tore apart defenses week after week. You put up crazy ass stats, but projecting forward to an NFL offense and what NFL defenses are going to do, there are not going to be nearly as many open receivers. There are not going to be nearly as many opportunities where he can just kind of like pick a guy and throw to him rather than reading through the entire defense it's just he's going to need to show a lot more timing, a lot more anticipation. And he can't – I mean, you can't pass up open receivers at the NFL level, and he does that consistently in college. So it's. I just think it's a big projection. And who knows, like, you know, he may he – may, I'm not going to get into the off-field stuff. I mean, he, he makes the comments about not wanting to sit and stuff, but who knows, like – I, I just think it sit. could be. I get that. Yeah. Look, I, I know yeah, what yeah. you're saying is you want a guy who's going to play team ball. I don't. I don't think you're ever going to find Baker it's, Mayfield it's being not that a so much because he's sitting. I I I am fine not with that the so idea much. that he thinks I I've got one life to live. I intend to be starting quarterback in the National Football League. I don't have any problem yeah. with that. That that's not what I'm getting at. It's more of if the guy is sitting. He needs to be preparing as a starter, like behind whoever yeah. the stopgap is or whoever is behind him. I, I he grant has you that, to be working on these deficiencies. I, you know like he can't be the same guy. I don't, I don't know what to think about that with any guy. And so I just, but I, I agree. Yeah. Yeah. I agree with you and I shouldn't have really brought it up, but no, no it's okay. Still, we it's, all have our thoughts about it. It's the way yeah, this is done. It's, the way it's a big, done. uh, I just think it's more of a projection with the way that his offense kind of, there was open receivers all over the field and just some of the decision-making, but that's definitely was productive. I heard a lot of that. That, Well, I wonder, I'm not saying like I am the only guy that has it, but I wonder how many people have really had the opportunity to get a hold of the all 22 and really dig into it. Because when you see the all 22, And this goes for studying any football, just speaking, you know, as someone that has experience as a coach, the broadcast view does not tell you anything compared to the all 22. I mean, when you can see all 22 guys on the field at all times, it really paints a picture of when guys are coming open. Spacing is the biggest part to me. You you can't see the the game the, the right way from the side. You just can't. Yeah. Yeah. Well, everything is just so condensed. I mean, right. the, the view is just not the same. So 
couple I things. Think, I wonder about that. Yeah, I do too. I think most people don't have it. I think that's the reality of it. A couple things um, before we go, because we're, we're pushing our time here. Um, some would say, you know, back to the draft real quickly as we wrap it up. Some would say, take best player available no matter what. And I totally respect that. I really do. Um, you and I, you and I have a slightly different view of it, which is that you've got to take some kind of positional value perspective into account. Um, the thing I'm going to challenge is I think a lot of people that are screaming, take best player available are screaming it because they think Saquon Barkley is the best player available. That's what I think. I could be wrong. I've run across a lot of it. So I ask you, those of you that say that, what if I grade Quentin Nelson as the top numerical grade in the class? Because I promise, some do. What if I grade Minka Fitzpatrick as the top numerical grade in the class? Because I promise, some do. What if I grade Bradley Chubb as the top grade in the class? Because I promise, some do. And so, what if we're not talking about a running back? What if we're talking about somebody who isn't sexy? What if we're talking about a meat and potatoes football player? Are you still asking me to pass up the quarterback? I wonder. I wonder. And finally, for me, the last thing I'm going to mention is my how things change. Because do you remember, and I know you do, Brendan, absolutely everyone about a year ago or maybe a year and a half ago, the 2018 quarterback class was the quarterback class. Everybody was wetting their pants for the 2018 quarterback class that was going to include Sam Darnold and Josh Rosen and Lamar Jackson predominantly. And then, of course, somewhere along the line, Josh Allen threw his hat into the ring. And look, Josh Allen is a talented dude physically. So whatever. I mean, it sure seems like he's got enough NFL, quote-unquote, real NFL people at least vaguely buying into the hype. So who am I to question it? Blake Bortles went number three, baby. We're all, we're all here watching the same game, right? <laughs> We've all been doing this for a little bit. Even if you haven't, you can, it's all online now. You can go find it. There are a lot of people who didn't think a lot of people could play who ended up top five draft picks. All right? I don't know how we're all of a sudden ignoring all of those quarterbacks to do something else. And that's what it really comes down to to me. And no, that's not me saying they're equal. That's me saying... I don't know how you look at this class of quarterbacks and not one of them is good enough for you. B? Oh, amen. Yep. It's, it's actually one of the best quarterback classes I can remember. I mean, you look at, like, even with everything I said about Mayfield, that does not mean that I don't like him as a player. What I was getting at is just, I just think it's a bigger projection than some other guys because of the systems that they come from in comparison. You That's even, all it is. How dare you take yeah. a middling position? Exactly. Instead of him being greatest quarterback prospect ever, like some people <laughs> seem to think, maybe he'll be my third or fourth quarterback prospect, which I think is extremely reasonable when you consider that Sam Darnold, Josh Rosen, and Lamar Jackson are all in this class. Josh Allen, he does not exist to me yet. Maybe he, he will once I see his all 22 a little bit. <laughs> that, no. Not, not only do you not think no. he's, he just, does, you just flat out de existed him, dude. <laughs> He doesn't exist in this. I'm sitting in my office right now and he is not going. Yeah. He is not going on this computer, on the projector for me to watch this film. You refuse to study him. Is that where we are? Well, not yet. Not to run. (laughs) I do have some Wyoming all 22 that I will dig into in the next few weeks. But for now, he, he doesn't exist yet until I see something that, he deserves to exist as a draft prospect. He does not yet. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Well, that's what we got for this week on the Browns note. Hey, so have you disclosed to these people yet that you're getting married in the greater Pittsburgh area? I mean, we need to decide whether this is actually a, a, a an event of you know treason. <laughs> yeah, I, I haven't discussed that with the people. <laughs> <laughs> is is the family of the future Mrs. Leister Steelers fans or Browns fans? Oh, they're definitely not Browns fans. <laughs> they're Steelers fans. Well, you've chosen but, wisely, no doubt. <laughs> but she is a Browns fan. 
And well, that's all that matters. I've converted her. Well, my condolences to her. <laughs> and, exactly. and, and with that, we leave you. Thanks again, man. We had a good time this week. Okay, that was my man, Brendan Leister, at Brendan Leister on Twitter, if you can catch him. The podcast you can find at The Browns Note. You can find me, Ryan Burns, at FTBL Sickness. Appreciate you checking us out there. We'll be back next week. A lot more talk coming. Like I said, we're going to do a bunch of quarterback stuff coming. Some guests that, uh, some new guests that I haven't spoken to ever and a couple more that I haven't spoken to in a long time, and I'm excited about all of it. It's going to be fun. It's good to be back. It's good to be chatting with you all. Catch you on the flip side. Go Browns. Woof.